0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, open it with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. A couple of uh, quick announcements while you're finding your place in Daniel chapter 3. First of all, I want to let the church family know that we need to be in prayer for um, the family of Richard Kirk. I got the call late Friday evening that Richard uh, had passed away. And an email is going out today, so make sure you check your inbox. It'll have all of the arrangements. Uh, The visitation with the family will take place tomorrow evening from 5 to 7 p.m. at Clark Funeral Home uh, there in Hiram. And then the funeral service will be at 2 p.m. on Tuesday at the Funeral Home Chapel. So let me encourage you to please uh, keep that family in your prayers. Pray especially uh, for Miss Barbara, his wife. Uh, they were married for 70 years, celebrated that milestone uh, back in March of this year, uh, so certainly a, a tremendous loss for her. But let's pray that God will give grace and comfort to, uh, to all of that family. And then secondly, I want to encourage you as you leave today to take a look in our cafe uh, on some of the kiosk and in the back uh, lobby uh, for these invite cards. These are Information cards, invite cards for our Trunkville, which will be taking place here on our church campus next Sunday evening from 4 to 7 p.m. And uh, we would love for you to take some of those with you as you leave today. uh, Hand those out to all of your family, to friends, uh, to those in your neighborhood. Uh, That event next Sunday evening is just a wonderful opportunity for us to welcome the community onto our campus. Uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, uh, to establish relationship with them, and then to encourage them to come and join us here uh, in worship at Poplar Springs. And you can help us do that by getting that information out. Uh, looking forward to a wonderful evening, a lot of fun activities, and it'll be a good time of fellowship. So make sure you grab some of those cards and uh, hand them out this week. All right, let's get into the word this morning. Daniel chapter three. We're looking at what is perhaps the most familiar portion of the book of Daniel and one of the most memorable passages in all of the Old Testament. The account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace has been a staple of Sunday school and VBS across the years. Uh, it's a story that many of us learned at a very early age. It's memorable and it's a miraculous passage. And It's my hope that as we hear again this story that its message will shape our lives today and that by its message, we will be a people who can thrive in Babylon. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along as I read and hear the word of God from Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King, King Nebuchadnezzar sent together every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, uh, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him in the province of Babylon. Let's pray once more. Our God and King, we thank you today for this, your holy word. And Lord, we pray that in demonstration and power of your spirit, your word would go out now. And you would use it to accomplish your eternal purposes in our hearts and in our lives. Father, by your word today, may we be fashioned into the image of your son. Lord, I pray today for divine enablement. God, I confess my inabilities, my weakness, my frailness. And Father, I pray that your spirit would help us today to proclaim this word to your people. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears that we may hear, and hearts that would be tender to receive what your word says today. For we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. A very familiar passage for most of us here this morning. As we think about this familiar passage, there are many considerations we can make in regards to this text today. When we look in Daniel 3, it's a text that has something to say to us about how we relate to God and government. Uh, It's certainly uh, an example of what the early apostles, the early church models for us in Acts. Where they declared we must obey God rather than men. It's a needed message in our day, certainly. Daniel 3 is also a text that reminds us of trials that we face in this life. That's always an important consideration. Fellowship is another aspect of this passage. If you listen carefully or noticed as we read Daniel 3, The three Hebrew young men are always mentioned collectively, never in oscillation from each other. It's always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They walk through this trial together. Fellowship is a vital component of our Christian faith. Two is better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So there's an aspect of fellowship. Fellowship. All of these elements of the passage are worthy considerations. However, I don't think they capture the heart of the passage. I don't think they get the passage's intended meaning. And you may be wondering, well, what is that meaning? Well, I don't think it's something we have to wonder about. It's not left to speculation for us. In fact, I believe the Bible tells us exactly where we should focus our attention here in Daniel Three In Hebrews chapter 11, in the New Testament, that chapter is often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it recounts for us the saints across the ages who have pleased God by their faith in Him. And it's there in that notable chapter, Hebrews 11, where we have a direct reference, a direct connection to our text today in Daniel 3. In Hebrews 11, verse 32, the author says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. As the author of Hebrews 11 penned those words, in their mind was no doubt our text today. Hebrews chapter 11 points us back to Daniel chapter 3. The author of Hebrews saw the Hebrew young men in Daniel 3 as an example and an encouragement of faith. And I think that's the main thrust of Daniel 3. This chapter, I believe, is about the type of faith that we need to thrive. In Babylon. As we look at these first six chapters of Daniel in our study on Sunday mornings, we're we're trying to discover how can we make it in this world as followers of Jesus Christ. When everything is against us, how can we continue to thrive? Well, one of the necessary elements is to have a strong faith. If we're going to thrive in Babylon, if we're going to live well in this world, we won't do it apart from a firm faith in God. The original audience of Daniel 3 would have heard these words and they would have been challenged and encouraged to remain faithful to the Lord God while in exile. Uh, They were now living in a foreign and distant land. They were surrounded by all kinds of idols and false gods. And as they hear the account of these young men, they were encouraged not to turn or to bow down to those false gods now surrounding them. And instead, they were called to emulate the faith of these three Hebrew young men who stood and stood apart when everyone else was bowing down. For us today, Daniel 3 reveals the kind of faith that we need, that type of faith, as we seek to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in this day, to reject the idols that the world puts before us and even the idols of our own making. Daniel 3 calls us to have a faith that is sure and sound and settled It calls us to have a faith that will take us through the fire. Daniel 3 is all about faith in the fire. The faith of these three Hebrew young men who remain resolute, unwavering, fully committed to their God. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live in this world today. That's how I want to stand in the world today as one who is unflinching, unwavering, and my commitment to live for Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, we need to learn from the faith of these three young men. And there's five aspects of their faith that I want to point out to you. And as we consider these aspects, here's what I hope will happen. Number one, I hope that you'll seek to examine your own faith. These Hebrew young men are given to us as examples. They're shown to be those who are faithful while living in Babylon the Hebrew writer calls them to our attention as those who we can emulate and so we examine our faith in light of their sound faith does ours match up and if not what's the issue and then we want to model our faith after theirs we want to emulate them in their practice you know we're people who learn many times by looking at others We see young children learning this way over and over and over again. How do you teach a a child to throw a ball? You say, watch me. How do you teach them to swing a bat? You say, watch me. Well, here God is saying, watch them. Look at them. Take notice of their faith and put that faith into practice in your own life as well. And then third and ultimately, I hope that you'll be encouraged. I hope that as we consider the faith of these young men in the midst of fire, As we consider their outcome, that it will lead to us being encouraged in our faith as well. To know that even when all the world is against us, if we're faithful, we will not fail. So let me give you five aspects of their faith in the fire. Number one, I want you to see that their faith in the fire was a faith that perseveres. It was a faith that perseveres. This is the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 3. And when we come to this chapter, it should seem familiar for us for more than just the story. When we read Daniel 3, we we go, yeah, we've heard this before. We know the story. They're thrown into the fire. They get out and everything's really good. It's a familiar story. But it should be familiar for more than just the story. It should seem familiar to us because of the recurring pattern that is unfolding here in the opening chapters of Daniel. What I mean by that is in Daniel chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, we have different stories, but they all follow the same plot. It's kind of like watching the same TV episode, the same show, but three consecutive episodes all basically follow the same storyline. Different things are happening, but everything rises and falls in the very same manner. That's what's happening here in the beginning of Daniel, uh, in the beginning of the book of Daniel, these first three chapters. It's a pattern of an issue that's unfolding, a threat that is given, and then a resolution that occurs. In Daniel chapter one, they were hauled into exile, and it was the issue of the meat at the king's table. Daniel said, "We can't eat that meat. We're not going to eat that meat." And the threat was, if you don't eat this meat and it goes poorly for you, you're executed. And I'm going along with you. And of course, the resolution was that God honored the faithfulness of Daniel and the three Hebrew young men in Daniel chapter 2 that we looked at last Sunday. It was the issue of a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had been given a dream and he called all of his wise men to his court and said, you must tell me not only the interpretation of this dream, but the revelation of it as well tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And if you don't, all the wise men are put to death. All the wise counselors are executed. And of course, that would have included Daniel and three Hebrew young men. Well, God gives resolution. He reveals the mystery to Daniel. He gives the revelation of the dream and its interpretation. Well, now we come to Daniel three and it's the same plot. There's an issue. This issue revolves around a statue that Nebuchadnezzar has uh, erected, 90 feet tall, nine foot wide, overlaid with gold. It was quite the sight to behold. The decree had gone out from the king, you must bow down and worship the statue. When all who have assembled hear the music beginning to play, bow down and worship. And if you don't, the threat is execution by cremation. And everyone in this day and age knew that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't playing. Uh, We have other references in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, where the Lord explicitly mentions the fact that Babylon often executes by throwing people into a fiery furnace. They, They knew what he meant, he meant. What he said, he would do. And so the threat is you're going to be cremated if you don't bow down. And then, of course, when we get to the end of the chapter, we have a glorious resolution. But what we discover here in these opening verses is a reminder that the world is always going to world. The world is unrelenting, and it is unceasing. Every year, every season, every generation, the battles continually come every year, every season, every generation will face the world's allurements. It was no different for the three Hebrew young men here in Daniel 3 as it was in Daniel 1 and Daniel 2. Now it is in Daniel 3, and so it will continue to be. In this particular instance, it was a call for them to engage in the worship of an idol, a call to bow down, faced with political, national, and emotional pressures. Everything was pressing upon them to become like the world. But here's what I want you to notice. In that context, the faith of these Hebrew young men remained steadfast. When we begin the story of Daniel, these three young men are mere teenagers. Some believe even as young as 13 years of age. From Daniel 1 to Daniel 3 now, several years have passed. Many believe a decade or more. So now these are no longer teenagers, these are men. They've passed into adulthood. But what we discover is that their faith wasn't a fad. It wasn't something that they were just playing around with. No, it was a a firm commitment in their life, so much so that even while they remained in Babylon, they continued living faithfully for God. A faith in the fire is a faith that perseveres. It will carry you through all of life's trials. It will remain steadfast in every season that you face. And here's what's interesting about this point. It seems that the author of Daniel 3 is setting up a contrast of the faith of these three Hebrew young men with the feigned faith, or the fake faith, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember when we ended Daniel chapter 2 last Sunday? Daniel had revealed the dream. He had given its interpretation. And old King Neb says, oh my goodness. Daniel, there is no God like your God. He is God of gods and he is Lord of kings. And we have Nebuchadnezzar falling prostrate, laying down, paying homage to Daniel and his God. And we leave Daniel two wondering, Man, is Nebuchadnezzar a changed man? Has he been radically altered? Has he come to faith? Well, now here we come to Daniel chapter 3. And we realize very quickly that that wasn't the case at all. What we discover is that what he had at the end of Daniel 2 was simply a profession and not a possession When Daniel 3 opens, we've got King Nebuchadnezzar making a statue. Now, we're not told exactly what this was a statue of. There's some who speculate that it was a a statue created in in his image and likeness. Others believe that it was probably a, a statue of one of the gods of Babylon, but it was clear. Whatever statue it was, it wasn't something that was put in place to honor the true and the living God. And what we have in the text is very revealing. You notice as I read that there's all types of repetition used. The repetition of all the audience that comes. The repetition of all the instruments that are played. But there's a subtle repetition. We hear more than seven times in this chapter that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Nebuchadnezzar set up the statue This statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everyone was called to bow down to this statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up. We can't miss that. When the Bible uses repetition, it's trying to draw an emphasis. When the biblical authors penned their words, they, they didn't have distinct fonts, and they didn't have bold print, and they didn't have highlighters. So repetition was the literary device that they would employ, And what the author is drawing our attention to is that Nebuchadnezzar is an unchanged man. He is seeking to set up his kingdom over all kingdoms. And I would remind you of the dream that Daniel had, which revealed that his kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, in the dream given to us as a head of gold, would ultimately fall, would ultimately come to pass, would ultimately be no more. But God's kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. Well, it seems over the years that Nebuchadnezzar had a problem with that, and he's seeking to show now that he has the ultimate, the greatest kingdom. He is setting up this statue to call all to come and worship before him. What we realize is that, yes, Nebuchadnezzar was charmed, but he wasn't changed. His faith was a mere profession, but not a possession. Listen carefully to me. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who became convicted, but he was not a man who was converted. There's a huge distinction there. I believe there are multitudes of people, even many of those sitting on church pews. They know conviction for sin. They know conviction regarding who God is, just as Nebuchadnezzar did at the end of Daniel 2, and just as he does here at the end of Daniel 3 as well. But it never leads them to conversion. Because they don't possess a faith in God alone. In contrast to that, these three Hebrew young men did. Their faith persevered in their exile, at the king's table, dealing with dreams. And now here, in the shadow of a statue and in the face of a fiery furnace, their faith held fast. It's only a faith that gets you to the finish that will save if we want to thrive in Babylon, we've got to have a faith that will persevere. Secondly, secondly, we see here in Daniel 3 that they had a faith that offends. They had a faith that offends. Now you heard me say to you before, and I believe rightly so, you don't need to be offensive. I'm afraid that there are many within the church today that they are trying to go, go out and figure out how they can tick everybody off, how they can be an offense to everybody. You're not going to win people to Jesus that way. But if you have a faith that is in Jesus, I promise you that faith will offend many. We come to verse 8 in the chapter. The command has gone out, the decree has been given, the symphony has played, and all have bowed down except three. And in verse 8, Chaldeans came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews. They, They called out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego called them by name, and they even said, O oh, king, these are the ones that you appointed. They had no thought concerning your decree. They cared nothing about your gods or the worship of the golden image that you have set up. Because of their faith, they had drawn the ire of an enemy. Theirs was a faith that offends. Let me remind you this morning, a faith that will get you through the fire is also a faith that will get you thrown into the fire. Did you hear me? A faith that gets you through the fire is also the faith that will get you thrown in the fire. These young men drew the ire of the contemporaries and the fury of old King Neb. In verse 13, he is in a furious rage. He is consumed by his anger. His pride has overtaken him. Some are not bowing before him in worship. And because of that, they face tremendous opposition. Holiness. Holiness, it's what we long for. We long to be holy because he is holy. But let me remind you once again that a holy life is sometimes a hard life. It's not always easy to stand and to live for Jesus. It will offend many. If you're going to stand for Jesus in this day, you're going to face some enemies. The old country preacher said it well. If the enemy's not attacking you, if the devil's not out to get you, it's probably because you're walking the same way he is. If you're going to live for Jesus and go contrary to this world, you're going to face opposition, persecution. It may cost you much. This is what Jesus sought to teach his disciples in some of the final moments that he had with them. In John 15, Jesus told them, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Having faith in Jesus Christ is not a a guarantee to an easy and peaceful life. No, it may just cost you everything. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes to exiles... To exiles. That's how he begins his letter. To the elect exiles of the dispersion. Who is God dealing with here in Babylon? Exiles. Who are these three Hebrew young men? They're exiles. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, listen to the language that he uses here. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter uses the allusion back to Daniel 3. He says, guys, I want you to know as exiles living in this world, as those who have faith in Jesus Christ, don't get caught off guard that there's fiery trials coming for you. Don't think it's strange that these things are happening to you. Let me just go ahead and tell you, if you want to be liked by everybody, you can't live for Jesus. If you want to have the Affirmation of this world. If you want to be the friend of this world, if you want to be upheld by this world, you can't have a faith in Jesus Christ because a faith in Him is a faith that will offend many. Their faith was offensive. Number three, I want you to see that their faith was one that obeys. Their faith obeys. In verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar calls these young men to himself. He gives them another opportunity. Hey, we're going to strike up the band one more time. If you'll bow down at this time, it's well and good. If not, you're in the furnace. And their faith perseveres. They're unrelenting, standing firm. In verse 16, they give a response to Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered to the king and said... O Nebuchadnezzar, listen to what they say. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Brought before the king, of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world, the man who could take their life at any moment, they declared their unwavering allegiance to God alone. They will obey him more than man. Twice they state that only will they serve their God. And in doing so, they were simply keeping the first two commandments that God had given his people. You remember the 10 commandments that God gave to Moses? You remember the first two? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I am God alone. Worship no other. And then the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. If you want to know if your faith is a genuine faith, if you want to know if your faith is legit, ask yourself, am I obeying God? Am I seeking to live my life in accordance to his word? Here are these three Hebrew young men, and they were willing to obey no matter the cost, even if it meant giving their own lives. You see, their faith wasn't something that they simply professed. Their faith was something that they practiced. It shaped how they lived. They didn't didn't gather and worship and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and then go out the next six days and live like they didn't know anything about Jesus. If your faith isn't shaping your life, every aspect of your life, I'd be concerned about what you call faith today. Their faith was willing to obey It shaped their lives. They were willing to go all in. They were willing to lay down their lives in order to remain faithful to their God. I wonder, is that your faith today? That's the faith that will get you in the fire and through the fire. That's the faith these three Hebrew young men had. That's the faith we've got to have as well if we're going to thrive in Babylon. And I want you to know that the pressure on Christians is not going to get any easier. It's going to get turned up. It's going to get ratcheted up. It's going to get hotter and hotter. And you've got to ask yourself, Am I willing to obey? Am I willing to to, to say, Lord, whatever it takes, even my life, I'm going to follow you? They had a faith that obeys. And then, number four, I want you to see they had a faith that saves. A faith that saves having pledged their allegiance to the true and the living God. In verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face changed. They could see it in his eyes. They could see it on his face. He orders the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Now that doesn't mean they went over there and turned up the dial to the seven slots. It simply means they got as hot as they could. More wood, more coal, get the flames raging. He issues the command for some of the mighty men to bind them, to cast them into the fiery furnace. And it's so hot that the men who throw them in, their lives are taken from them. Verse 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. There's sometimes, let me, let me see if I can pause for just a moment and help you a little bit in your Bible reading. There's sometimes in your Bible reading you, you need, especially in Old Testament passages and narrative passages like this, you need to read it like it's a story because it is a story. And in this day, the author telling the story, you've got to remember the majority of people they were sharing it with couldn't read. They were probably Ill, illiterate, so the one who was reading it would probably give a dramatic pause right here. This is the cliffhanger verse. They're thrown into the fiery furnace, bound. This is where in your favorite television show, they cut to the commercial. This is what's happening here. What's going to happen? We're on the edge of our seat. What's the next moment going to reveal? And then it breaks back in in verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished Rose up in haste. I thought we threw three in, bound. That's right, King. That's that's what we did. But I see four men, unbound, walking in the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Oh, what we discover here is that their faith in the fire was a faith that saved. It saved. Now, let me be clear here, because I think this is an important part of the text. Their faith wasn't in a particular outcome. They had no idea what the outcome would be. Their faith wasn't a right quantity or a right quality. Rather, their faith was consumed by the appropriate object. Their faith wasn't a particular outcome, but it was in God alone. They tell King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't know what's going to happen. We know that God is able. He has all ability. He is sovereign. He can bring us through this fire. I believe they were probably remembering the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 42. I believe it is. I will walk with you through the fire. He's that kind of God. He can walk with us through the fire. They say, but we don't know. But we tell you what, even if He doesn't get us through this fire, even if this is the end, even if we are executed, even if death is what awaits, He's still God. That's faith. Faith is not saying, God, you've got to give me the particular outcome that I desire. That's wishful thinking. That's a prosperity gospel. That's health, wealth, and and wanting things to be easy for you. That's not the faith that these people had, that these young men had. They had a correct faith because it was placed correctly in God. You see, the question is not do you have faith, but what do you have faith in? Their faith was simply in God. They trusted in his ableness and left the outcome to his willingness. And here's what I want you to know. Faith in God is what still saves today. Faith in God is what still saves today. We read this text and we see this this story and we think, man, that's what God's going to do every time. No, it's not. He's not bound to do that every time. This is a miraculous event. And I would remind you that by their very definition, miracles are not numerous Now, when we read the text of Scripture, we see miracles happening uh, in several places, and several periods, and we're drawn to those, and rightfully so, because those miracles were given as an affirmation of God's power, God's character, and the message that He is proclaiming. But I would remind you that miracles are not the normative way in which God operates. However, had God not given the miracle to these three Hebrew young men, He would have been no less God. He's still God. And faith in Him still saves. I see this often as we walk with people through seasons of illness with a loved one, and they're praying and they're trusting, God, give us a miracle. God, give us a healing. And, and man, they are all in on Jesus. And man, they, 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 and what they're doing is looking to their faith rather than looking to the God they have faith in. There's a difference with that. We don't leverage God by faith. Our faith is in Him. Suppose he hadn't delivered them from the fiery furnace. Suppose they hadn't met their death. They still would have been delivered. They understood this and they believed this. You know how we know this? Because they remember the dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that dream? Yep, the kingdom of Babylon is one day going to fall. So is the Persian Empire. So is the Greek Empire. So is the Roman Empire. So is every other empire of man. They will one day fall, but the kingdom of God will stand forever and ever and ever. And by their faith, they believe we are assured of that kingdom. So they said, Neb, kill us if you want, but we'll live with God forever. And I would just remind you today that simply because God doesn't give healing doesn't mean that He hasn't given deliverance. Is it not a glorious deliverance for one who faces death in faith to then be ushered into the presence of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is that not glorious? To know that eternity now is theirs in the presence of their King and God forevermore. Faith in God is what saves. And we get a glimpse of that here in Daniel 3. And we get a glimpse of the one we're to have faith in. The Bible tells us that there were four in the midst of the fire. Now there's been much debate over who that fourth one was. Nebuchadnezzar said it was like a son of the God. Some translations render it an angel. Some people think it was the angel of the Lord, a precarnate appearance of Jesus Christ here in the Old Testament. We're not really sure. The Bible doesn't explicitly say. But the picture it gives us is one that is absolutely glorious. Because while the three young men came out, there's a fourth one that remained behind. And what a beautiful picture of what the Son of God will do for us. He will come, and He will face the furnace of God's wrath all along going to a cross and bearing our sins, taking our place, bearing our shame, become our substitute and give His life that all who would believe in Him, all who would have faith in Him, may be saved. The faith of these three Hebrew young men is a faith that saves. I wonder, do you have that type of faith today? Is your faith one that saves? because it's placed in Jesus Christ alone. Not in His outcomes, and not in what you hope will be, but in Him, in His person. You're trusting in Him. Oh, if it is, you can say with these three Hebrew young men, and even as Job did, though He slay me, I will hope in Him. That's a saving faith. And then fifth and finally, let me conclude by showing Their faith was a faith that rewards. A faith that rewards. Again, in the pattern of these opening chapters, there's issue and thread and resolution. And in every resolution, at the end of every chapter of these first three, there's a reward given. Daniel is promoted. The three Hebrew young men are promoted. And here again, they're given another promotion in the province of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, well, there's a principle here for us that reminds us that faith, saving faith, faith in Jesus Christ, receives a great reward. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 11:6, 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Oh, there's a payday. There's a payday coming for those who will have faith in Jesus Christ. We look to that reward. It fuels our fight of faith as we live in this Babylon today. That we can thrive, that we can continue on, that we can remain steadfast. But I also want you to know this morning that should you not have faith in Jesus Christ, there is no reward for you at the end, only retribution. Jesus knew well the story of these three Hebrew young men. Perhaps because it may have actually been him in the furnace with them. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us the parable of the weeds. story of a farmer who had a field, and one evening his enemies came in and scattered weeds among his crops. And the weeds began to grow along the crops, and the farmhand said, Do you want us to go and take out the weeds? The farmer said, No. Less than taking out the weeds, you take out the crops with them. Leave them until harvest time. Then at harvest time, there'll be a separation, and we'll deal with those. Jesus goes on to give the explanation of that parable, and this is what he says. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And will throw them, listen to this, and will throw them into the fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth you lead this life without faith in jesus christ The faith that we've seen modeled for us in the text today. A faith that perseveres. A faith that is opposed by this world. A faith that shapes your life and all that you do. A faith that saves. You leave this life without that faith, and I promise you a fiery furnace is in your future. The retribution of a holy God awaits. But today, today he says, come and believe place faith in His Son, trust in Jesus Christ, and be saved today. Let's pray.